Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Well, we are going to take a pause from the book of Hebrews, and we are going to be looking at um, just a bigger idea here at the church, just understanding who we are and what we are about. Many of you know that I pastored a church before this. Um, I pastored a church in Raleigh, North Carolina for five years, and I was 29 years old when I went into that church filled with wisdom, amen. And uh, when I went in there, uh, I had an opportunity to lead and whatnot. And as I began to lead people, um, I began to see there was a problem in our church. Uh, my church was a very biblically astute church, uh, the one that I came into. But I noticed there was a community down the street. It was called River Birch Apartments. And I really felt awkward because no one from that apartment complex actually came to our church. So we started doing outreaches at the church. We started to do book bag drives. We started to do like these bouncy houses. We did all these different things. But no one from the community, from that community would actually come to our church. I started noticing, you know, maybe we just need to like build relationships with these folks, like get to know them. And I remember we wanted to do this three-on-three basketball tournament. And that day it was super hot. And when I say like, I mean, it was just like uncomfortable. And out of a church of about 200 some people, only about four people showed up. And then midday, everybody left because it was too hot. Nobody showed up for the basketball tournament. And so I was like, well, you know what? I'm going to just go knock on some doors and just, I don't know, start a conversation. So I knocked on people's doors, said, hey, I just, I'm the pastor down the street, you know. And, and I'm feeling stupid because I'm like, yo, I'm out here by myself in this heat, just swimming in sweat. So I'm coming to her like, hey, how you doing? Face all sweat. So there's a reason why people didn't open up the door. But I'm there, and I'm trying to build a relationship with these folks. And finally, this one woman, she opened up the door. She had an oxygen mask on, and as I walked in, the walls were black. They were white, but they were filled with essentially smoke. Newport packs everywhere, and she has this oxygen mask on. (sighs) How can I help you? Oh, I'm a pastor. I just want to know if I can come in and talk to you. I'm a pastor of a church down the street. She let me in. Her name was Lynette Keys. Lynette was over 70 years old. Newport packs everywhere. Oxygen mask on. Soot all over the apartment. I sit her down. I tell her about the love of God. She said, Pastor, you think God will still accept me? I said, yes, Lynette, God loves you. He accepts you. She said, pastor? I said, yes. She said, I smoke cigarettes. <laughs> I said, Lynette, I know. <laughs> she said, pastor? You think them folks over there would let me in there? I said, what, my church? She said, yeah. I said, sure, we'd, we'd love to have you. 
And she said something I'll never forget. She said, Pastor, I'm not like those folks. I, I don't like to come to church. And I, and I, I like my Newports. You think they'll still want me if I smell like smoke? And that what we say, come as you are, what happens when you smell like smoke? And so there came this moment where I couldn't believe, like, man, she doesn't feel comfortable coming to our church. we got to change all this. When you look at the ministry of Jesus, you know what I love about Jesus? People that were completely different than Jesus, I mean, people that were not like him, liked him. And he liked them back. Jesus had this incredible way of attracting people that were nothing like him. And they were drawn to him. Here, Jesus, this majestic, holy teacher. And there, all types of people with diseases and pains and lepers. And they were drawn to him. And they liked him. And he liked them back. And as a church, when people come into our church, they presume that somehow this place is going to be a little like Jesus. They don't know which one of you are like Jesus. They don't know. They just like, somebody need to be like Jesus up in here. And the truth of the matter is, if our witness is depending on you, the individual you, we're going to fail. The church is the collective witness of Jesus Christ. That means that what people saw in Jesus, they will never see in you, but they should see in us. That Lynette Keys should be able to come in here smelling like smoke, and we should treat her like Jesus would treat her. What would Jesus do? Jesus would reach her. And so the purpose statement of our church came out of those experiences and knowing that we want to reach people where they are and help them grow. It is much different when someone is at a good place. They've grown up in church and they read their Bible. And I like him. He has to teach the word. Yeah, and you like it. But it's different when someone doesn't know all the stories. They don't know where the chapters are. I love it when people come to our church and they go, there's a Bible app? Wow. They don't know. <laughs> and I remember, you know, I, I loved it. I loved it when there were people in church when we brought Bibles to church. Amen, I'm not that person. I'm just saying. When we brought Bibles to church, I loved it when someone had to go to the table of contents. For like Matthew, it's just like, where is it? Oh, good. I'm glad you're here. The church should be the collective witness of Jesus. And Jesus lives on this mission to reach people. In the verses that we're going to look at in Luke chapter 15, Jesus has actually been reaching people throughout this chapters. And in the chapters 14 through 17, Jesus is coming up against the Pharisees. These are the religious of the day, and they are frustrated with Jesus because Jesus keeps having all these unlikely types Keep coming around him. Jesus always created a crowd. The crowds loved him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him. And what's interesting about this text is 
It motivates people to want to reach people. But this text is really about Pharisees. And it's about getting Pharisees to stop complaining and get them to start celebrating. So he gets three stories here in order to get their lives turned around so they would get in the game. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 15, or you can look up on the screen. In Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, Jesus has been teaching, and because Jesus is able to always collect or gather a crowd, it says all the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining, because that's what they do. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. You've got to feel the tension happening there in the text. Jesus has been teaching, and the Pharisees had no problem with him teaching in the temple, no problem with him teaching Jewish men, but the fact that he was teaching women, the fact that he was teaching sinners, people who were far from God, who felt uncomfortable coming to the temple, and the fact that he was teaching them tax collectors. You gotta understand tax collectors. Tax collectors were a group of people who were taxing their own people. In other words, the Jews were an oppressed people group. So Jews were trying to help out other Jews. But those tax collectors, they were actually taxing their own brothers and sisters of their tribes, so much so that they were even taking some off the top so they could live fat. So you know what we would call the tax collector today? We'd call them a sellout. Yeah. There's some more cultural names we'd call them. Yeah. They, in other words, they were that one group of people that you've sold out our community. You don't care for us. You should be. You, do you remember your grandmother? Do you remember your ancestry? You are the one type of person I'm disgusted by. And so the Pharisees would be sitting there looking at these tax collectors in their booths. And Jesus would say to Matthew, come follow me while he's oppressing people. So there, tax collectors, sinners. And the Pharisees, you got to understand the Pharisees. And I, and I, I mean this in the, in the kindest way. But you know what? We read the Bible, we see the Pharisees, and we go, boo, Right? And then we see, like, the, the lepers and all these other people. And we're like, that's us, yeah. In the story, if we're, like, in, if we're in the story, like us, we're probably closer to Pharisees, right, than we are the lost, like the people that do, I don't feel like I can come. Because these are the people that know all the stories. They know all the ways in which you, you're supposed to live out the faith, Right? So if you've been a Christian for a while, you, I'm just saying your tendency, the gravitational pull of your heart is probably more towards Pharisee than it is the lost. And the Pharisee at the time, you, there's an easy way to understand Pharisees. Pharisees were just always telling Jesus what he was doing wrong. They're just like, nope, Jesus, that's not the way you do it. Who, who are you doing? What are you doing on the, on, on the Sabbath? Oh, okay. And they're always trying to figure out what he's doing wrong. And if you're not careful, if you're not careful 
when you abide in a church for a while and you have a perspective on how things could go or should go, there's a very good chance that you'll lean into being more like a Pharisee. See, the Pharisee, you know, in a football game, I played football, praise God, many of you know that. But in a football game, you have like two teams, but there's actually three teams. You see, there's two teams, and on the teams, there are people who are blocking and tackling and running and jumping, and they're going for the goal, and they're doing all these amazing things. And then you got this one group, and they don't wear either jersey. They just wear this black and white. And they have this rule book, and they just go around telling people everything they're doing wrong. Look at you. Look at you. That's all they do. They tell everybody what they're doing wrong, and in the meanwhile, they're not sacrificing anything. You see, the Pharisee is really pretty much a referee. They're not winning or losing. They're just telling everybody what they're doing wrong, right? So, but this is the beauty of Jesus. What Jesus does is when he starts teaching, he doesn't tell the Pharisees to leave. He gathers them around. He's like, guys, I I want you to stop complaining and I want you to celebrate with me the work that's happening. So what he does is he tells them a story, an easy, simple story that they could understand. So why don't we read this first part of the story together? Luke chapter 15, verses three through four. I wonder if we could read that together right where it says so. I'm going to say one, two, three, and we're going to read that entire uh, two verses together. Ready? One, two, three. So he told them. You know what the funny thing about this story is? We don't feel this story. Like, we don't feel the tension because ain't none of us ever raised no sheep. So we're just like, Okay, so we have to like study history. But do you notice the way that Jesus says this? He says, what man amongst you wouldn't go after the sheep? So the presumption in the crowd, people are like, "Mm, that's true. You you go after that one sheep, right? Because he's saying a story that everyone could understand. Now, one point I just want to make. Notice that Jesus communicates in a double barrel shotgun kind of way. He communicates where the Pharisees could understand and change and the sinners could feel welcome, right? So notice that there, there, therefore, is a way that we should communicate that if you're finding yourself where the only the religious are saying amen, you've got a problem. You might be preaching for a seminary professor, but you're not preaching like Jesus. Jesus preached in a double-barrel shotgun kind of way where the sinners felt they could come up and the, the Pharisees felt like they needed to come down. Okay. So in light of that, Jesus communicates in a way where both groups understand. He doesn't shun one group. He welcomes both groups. And in light of that, what Jesus is trying to do is create a sense of urgency because he's saying naturally you'd feel urgent about this one sheep that wandered off. Understand here in the text, when it says that the 99 are in the open field, we have to understand that this is not just a palatial area that they're in. This is most likely a desert. And the fact that it's a desert, the shepherd most likely has led them to an area where they can feed and they can grow. But if they wander off, they're most likely going to be in a dangerous desert by themselves. They're most likely going to be amongst the rocks and cut themselves and hurt themselves. And where it says that they, he, he goes after the lost, the word lost means to perish, 
If they're in the desert too long, they're going to die. This sheep that I value greatly, I have urgency because you will perish in the desert. And any sense of urgency from a church should be because we want to be the collective witness of Jesus, but we must know people are perishing emotionally, but there is an eternal place, eternally separated from God, where people will live in eternal punishment, separated from him. And when hell is not at least anywhere in our framework, then we will never have urgency. Because this word lost doesn't mean they're wandering. It means they'll die. That's why he runs after them. And then this is the thing. Sheep are not smart, praise God. And I'm sorry that he doesn't give us a great analogy like these are the accountants. And he says, these are sheep, right? And he says, sheep are not smart. So this is what probably happened. The sheep most likely didn't strategize leaving. They didn't say on Tuesday, the shepherd, you know, he mostly, mostly goes to, you know, the bar. So I'm going to go out on Tuesday and roll out. No. What happens is sheep, they start off and they see this patch of land that they say, mm, this is really good. And they keep going and they keep going and they keep going. And all of a sudden, before they know it, they're wandering out of the fold. And before they know it, not only are they not in a healthy place, they're in a desert place. And it just started off where I just wanted to get more to eat. And now I'm in a place I couldn't imagine. You see, many of the addictions we have started off as an interest. It started off as, well, why don't you just come over one night? It started off with one conversation. It started off with one look. And you were just trying to eat. And before you knew it, you were gone. And you're wandering. And there are some here today, it took everything for you to come back into this space. Because you know how much it has cost you being out there by yourself. An old quote, Ravi Zacharias said it this way, sin will take you farther than you ever thought you'd go. It will keep you there longer than you ever intended to stay. And it will cost you more than you expected to pay. So sin has this way of not a strategy, but a wandering eye, a wandering heart, wandering friendships. We are prone to wander. But the main point he's trying to say to get urgency of sheep is that, of course you'd go after it. Of course it would become a priority. I mean, it's, it's one of your sheep, one of the ones you've raised up. But when we read this in our natural eye, we go, 100 sheep, you lose one, you still got 99, right? Jeez, one. <laughs> you got 99 other ones? Gosh. But we don't understand the value in the text. So if you were getting married and your fiance hits you up, just, hey, how you doing? What's up? What you doing, girl? You will not believe this. I lost my engagement ring. Word? Yeah, I did. But you know what? I still got my cell phone. 
I'm not interested in hearing on what's unlost because I value deeply what's lost. My, um, my wife loves Aldi's. Anybody in the Aldi? Apparently this... <laughs> apparently this is an experience. I went one. It didn't do it for me. I, I, I thought we were here just for like hot dogs and stuff, so... But my wife loves all these. She's discipling my daughter, Faith. She loves all these now. So all these is a thing. All these is a thing, right? So they, so my kids just get like all these, yes. They just get excited about all these, right? So now they're going to all these. I'm not there, praise God, but they're at all these. And apparently, do you know this? At Aldi's, in order to get like uh, one of the shopping carts, you got to put a coin in and all that. And then, in order to get your 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 coin back, you got to connect it to another shopping cart to get your coin back. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about tonight. So, <clears throat> my wife, she's there with the kids at Aldi's, and it, it comes to this point where they're ready to bring the shopping cart back. So she has the kids with her. She's bringing the shopping cart back. But on the bottom floor, there were no other shopping carts. You got to have a shopping cart to connect to another shopping cart to get your quarter. And my wife's not the type of person where she's not going to get that quarter back. Amen? (laughs) Me, I'm like, it's just a quarter. My wife's like, it's not just a quarter. (laughs) So my wife's like, okay, well, where are the other shopping carts? So she's like, oh, man. The person's like, you got to go upstairs. There's more shopping carts upstairs. So we got the kids with us. So we got Faith, who's 10, Leah, who's 9, Sophia, who's 3. So they all go to get on the elevator. Well, they're getting on the elevator, and Faith, Leah, and Sophia are getting on the elevator with her, and then they finally get on the elevator, and she's got her shopping cart with her, and there's Faith, and there's Leah, and my wife looks over and goes, where's where's Sophia? And my daughter, Leah, who gives the best answer, I don't know. So she looks at Faith, Faith, where's Sophia? She said, I thought she had her. Where is Sophia? Well, they finally, they get upstairs. My wife, who is a track star, amen, runs out of the elevator down three flights of steps, leaves the cart that she had in the elevator and my other kids, praise God. <laughs> runs runs down the steps. She's running down the steps. She looks, and there's Sophia. Little Sophia was backed up against the wall. She's crying. She's crying. Oh, baby, I'm crying. And then my wife sees her and goes, oh, baby. And she grabs her and hugs her and kisses her. Oh, and she's like, oh, mommy, oh, baby. And then, and then finally the girls come back downstairs, right? <laughs> what if my wife, now she told me this story when she got home. What if she called me? Hey, babe, what's up? You would not believe this. I'm going upstairs, upstairs. You know the coin thing? Yeah. So I'm on the elevator, and I say, where's Sophia? And guess what? They don't know where Sophia is. I was like, oh, that's crazy. So where's Sophia? I don't know. <laughs> but I have faith in Leah. No, 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 no. Where's my lost child? 
I'm not, just because you told me what is unlost doesn't mean I'm not satisfied in hearing about what is lost. Where's my lost child? I still prioritize my lost child. And do you know that if somebody was seeing my wife run down the steps, leaving my two kids, do you know what they would say? That mother is irresponsible. Because when you don't understand someone's purpose, you don't understand their priorities. So when you look from the outside, you just simply say, this person's neglecting a different group. But the person who's the mother saying, no, I'm prioritizing that which is lost. This frustrated the Pharisees. This frustrated them. The Pharisees are wondering, why do you spend time with people that are so different than God? And Jesus is telling them through this story, no, I'm rescuing people. I'm trying to save that which is lost. So Jesus goes on and he tells a story. And in Luke chapter 15, verse 5, it says, when he had found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. Why does he do that? Well, one, there's a good chance he might want to wander off again. But more importantly, he's been out in the desert. He most likely has cuts all over him. In other words, when you've been in the wilderness or in the desert, you probably come into the shepherd's arm hurting. Lots of cuts on you. Lots of bruises. So he says, I'm going to carry you to where you would not go on your own. One of the great challenges of our church in this season is that we are a very young church. And to be honest with you, many of us probably feel more comfortable being one of the sheep than we do shepherding people. In other words, when you, feel, when you look at yourself in the story, you're like, I'm, I'm the one who needs to be, pursue me, Jesus, right? <laughs> Come after me. Put a, put, a, put a GPS on me, Jesus. I'm, I'm prone to wander. I praise God. And our gravitational pull is to the 99 because we're like, man, we're all hurting. We're, we're all wanting to grow. But the way that the scriptures present it is that if we are going to reach people where they are, we've got to do the second part where we help each other grow, where we help each other grow. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 6, 1 through 2, to bear one another's burdens to carry one another, to care for one another. We will not, listen to what I'm about to tell you, we will not be able to effectively keep reaching people who are lost if we do not have shepherds who are raised up in our midst. One thing that we have to understand contextually from the text, think about this. If the shepherd leaves 99 sheep by themselves and goes after one, is he not irresponsible? What will the other 99 do? Wander off. What we don't understand in the text is this. One shepherd would never shepherd 100 sheep by themselves. The minute that that shepherd had more than four sheep, he was now irresponsible if he didn't have other shepherds to get raised up. One shepherd could never shepherd a hundred sheep. Right now in this crowd, 
there are over 100 people in this crowd. Next week, there'll be over more than that with the event we have coming up with Soul Cafe. But the week after that, there could be 100 some in here. But let's just say there are 100 people in this room right now. Look around. Look around. Let's say there are 100 people in this room right now. Do you know what? From my vantage point, I'll never know if there are 99 people versus 100 people. Because from my own eye, I can't tell the difference. But I know if Lou's not here, and you may know if Cece's not here, and she may know if Wendy's not here. You see, when we start establishing the church as a collective of numbers, but not a group of names, then we should have stopped trying to grow years ago. See, we've got to be very careful when we celebrate baptisms. We don't take care of those who have been baptized. And we, we've, got to, we've got to understand. We've got to understand. I get it. We want to be at a different place when it comes to shepherding and all that. But we got to understand that our gravitational pull is towards the 99. Very few people will ever say, we got we got to reach the lost. Most people will say, we need more. We need more things, Pastor. It's the natural proclivity of our heart. We need more things. We, uh, you know, um, amazing church over there, like a, a, a sta- that, like that church that does nothing wrong. Church Tabernacle, yeah, yeah, yeah. A, amazing church Tabernacle of holiness and greatness. They, they got this thing. I love it. We need to do it. And I'm like. Yeah, we do, but it's hard right now, so we can do a few things. So can you help with that, the thing we do? No? Okay, praise God. And then, so like, we got to figure this out together, how we help each other grow. It is not enough to reach people where they are. We have to help each other grow. And because we keep getting younger and people still don't know, we end up having this youth feel spiritually and age-wise. But, all right, so I'm going to talk about that in a second. But So here's what happens. Luke 15, verse 6 and 7. It says, And coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. And verse 7, so... Jesus now is interpreting the story that he just told. And he says, I tell you, just like I just told the story, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. That was the point of his story. And what he was trying to get the Pharisees to do was he was not just intending to rebuke them. He was trying to say, celebrate with me. Rejoice with me, the lives that have been changed. Rejoice with me, those who have been coming into the fold. Rejoice with me, celebrate with me. Stop complaining and start celebrating with me. And Jesus paints this picture in verse 7. Look, look at this verse. Can this verse be true? 
there will be more joy in heaven? More joy? There's more joy? There's joy in heaven, amen? But there's more joy when a certain group of people do something. When a sinner repents, it says there's more joy. So that means if you're like Lynette Keys, where you smell like smoke, and you were uncomfortable coming in this room today, God is quantifiably, measurably happier that you're here than the collection of everyone else. Does that make you mad? Does that make you mad? Huh? Does that make you mad? Does that make you mad? You might be a referee. Amen? Amen? Huh? What I'm trying to say is that's, that's what frustrated the Pharisees. He just said there's one group of people that God actually gets happier about. There's more joy measurably more joy. I mean, they get turned up just a little. They go to 12, just to 12, when they see a sinner repent. There's joy in heaven, but there's more joy when they see one group transform and change. So don't we want to be like Jesus? So we should have more joy when we see the person turning from their wicked ways, coming from the place where they're just tired of sin and they want to be able to have a space in this place and no one. So what does Jesus say in Luke chapter 19 verse 10? He says, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. That's what he came to do. I wonder for my theologians, can the church save anyone? So we can't fulfill that part of Jesus. Only Jesus saves. But can the church seek everyone? So the collective witness of God's people is a seeking people. If we are to be like Jesus, we are a seeking people. We are seeking those that God would save. That was his mission. You ever lose something? You ever lose something? I mean, you've lost something. But you ever lose something? And like, you walk into like your crib and you say, yo, I lost my cell phone. But you're the only one looking for it. Like you got that one friend that's like, have you retraced your steps? Have you retraced your steps? <laughs> Go retrace your steps. I'm saying, have you ever lost something of value and people were giving you more advice of where it could be, but they weren't actually participating and trying to find it with you? It's like, no, 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 can you look under the couch with me, praise God? Like, I am trying to find my phone. Can you at least call it, amen? Can you call my phone, please? It's on vibrate. Can you be quiet then? Can you? Help me find the valuable thing. Isn't it weird when you're trying to find something of value and the people that say they love you aren't looking with you? It becomes an awkward thing, right? So the beauty of who we are as a church is we are an imperfect church. 
but I just want to give us some language. It's language that we are constantly trying to refine as a church. We are always growing, not growing just numerically, but just growing in how, to, how do we steward this church? Our purpose, you've heard, is to reach people where they are and to help them grow. I know many of you know that because we shove it down your throat every Sunday. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> but we also, so, but understand, think about this. So we're trying to think, think about the, the next story in, in Luke 15 is of a lost coin. So say you have a lost coin and you're trying to reach it. That means you're, you're, you're contorting yourself in order to, to reach, right? So we want to be a reaching church. But we also want to help people grow. So we have a process. So where we have a purpose, we also have a process. Because we are about, we are fundamentally about helping people grow. While simultaneously being about reaching people. We want people to connect to God. What's the rest? And? So, so because that is our process, we really want you to experience God. We want you to be in family, and we want you to serve our city. And we see this not just as disconnected statements, but as a process we have to help people grow. But here's the third point that I want to just help you understand. Then we have programs in order to make that work. That's why we do Sundays because we are really trying to get people to connect to God. That's why we do Bridge Kids, because we want parents to be able to have peace for like 30 minutes, praise God, just peace, just to rest and just hear the word and just, and then, and then, and then we also, of course, we don't want it to be a daycare. No, we want it to be where these kids are hearing from God. The reason why we do visuals is because we want people to be able to understand the word quickly. The reason why we have lights, we're trying to create an atmosphere. So everything we do is about reaching people. So when we have teams, it is not to, honestly, our teams are not for you to find the supernatural thing that God has made you to do. It's really to help with our purpose. Because when, so when we start talking about, like, hey, do you want to serve, people act like it's a menu. It's like, I don't, I don't know. I'm just not going to do it right now. But the point is not just to find your gifting. It's also to live out our collective purpose as a church. If you feel guilty, that's okay. That's all right. <laughs> we want people, therefore, to not only be involved with our Sundays, not just serving, but, but also coming to Sundays and and, and feeling God's presence, but then we also want people to get involved in city groups because city groups, that's where relationships are happening. And yes, I've said city groups are not a Bible study and they're not where you're getting your friends. We are coming around the word and there are people who want to go deeper and there are people who want to go lighter and it's this collection of people, but we are coming together and we're building relationships in order to know God and know each other because we see that's how you grow. We believe you have to grow in community. And then, of course, we have our serving teams. I mentioned that before, but that's where we get connected because we believe that teams are not just to help, it's for you to grow. Do you know that part of growing is when you say, I'll be there and you come? That's growth. Amen? <laughs> Ta-da! You're growing. Your yes was yes. All right. 
praise God. So, no, so what I'm trying to say is this. Everything we are, so we do not do a whole collection of things as a church. We do a few things, but we do them with a purposeful intent because we want to reach people where they are and help them grow. We want there to be this movement between connecting to God, growing with family, serving our city. And we create environments in order for that to happen. So it is very easy on a Sunday. I've said this before. It's very easy on a Sunday that once you feel the preacher's about to wrap up, which is happening right now, you go, you're, you're kind of looking at your phone, you're kind of looking at your app, you're kind of looking at that Uber app, like Uber, hello. You just kind of, all right, because I feel like it's time to go. And I came here for the word. I did not come here for social anxiety, amen. So when this thing is, when this thing is over, I'm out, praise God, amen, and I'm out of here, right? Because you don't want to deal with all that, right? And not just for the people that are new, but people that have been around a while. And, and, but this is what we do after church. When we say backstage pass, those are new people coming back there. If, you, if you're here and you're here for the first time, we say backstage pass, gotcha. Like that's what we do in the backstage pass. We're trying to reach new people. And we want to have those people go into an environment where they can have a conversation with the pastor and just have a small five-minute discussion. Wouldn't it be awesome if you were bringing people to the backstage pass yourself, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, not just inviting them to church, but actually walking them back there? And then from, from backstage pass, we have open house. An open house happens once a month, and that's at the beginning of the month, so we can have a lunch, and it, and it gives people an opportunity. It's an orientation of the church. And people can become members of the church. And they can say, hey, I want to serve in this church. I want to give to this church. I want this to be my church. Wouldn't it be awesome if you just started telling people about that opportunity so they wouldn't feel spiritually homeless, but they would have a home? And then from there, we generally direct people to city groups, and we direct them to serving teams. And so in light of that, those opportunities are built out in our processes. And I just wonder if this year you would commit yourself to reaching one. You don't have to be a, an evangelist where you're like, at your desk every day and pounding the table and trying to like intimidate people into the kingdom. What if you started to commit your prayer life to one person this year? Just one, just, just one, just one. You commit yourself to praying for that person. You commit yourself to even interrupting that person every now and then say, hey, would you mind just coming to church with me sometime. You commit yourself to that one. And then as they were to get involved in our church and they come that one Sunday, you're like, you're here? Oh my gosh. And you sit by him. You're just like, he's good, isn't he? So praise God. <laughs> then, then, then you go to Backstage Pass with him. Like, come on, come on. Where do I go? Just come on back here. It's back there. And you sit with them back there. And then you go, you're going to go to that open house? You should. And they go. 
And be like, hey, I serve on Bridge Kids. You want to serve with me? We could. You see, because when we wander, we're prone to wander. And we need people to walk with us. When you walk with people there, they don't wander as much. And the truth of the matter is, right now in your life, there are people like Sophia. They're looking around. And they're just so confused. And they're so scared. And they're so lonely. And they don't know how they got there. And they wish there was a family that would rescue them. Someone that would pick them up and carry them. And I can tell you, if you know Jesus here, that, amongst all the gifting and skills you have, that is the purpose of your life. It's to reach the one. Who? I don't know who. The one. And as a collective witness, we keep reaching the one. I wonder if there's a neighbor or a coworker, a friend or a family member that you would commit yourself to praying for. This next week, we have Soul Cafe. We'll talk more about it. You can begin with that. You can begin praying over one person that you can invite to that as we want to create an environment for people who feel far from God. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the collective witness of your people. We ask you, God, that tonight, thank you for reaching me when I was the one. Thank you when when I was like Lynette, thank you that when I was like Sophia, you came and you rescued me. But Jesus does not walk up to people. He sends his people. He sends his spirit. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you tell me who my one is? Holy Spirit, would you tell me? We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.